Hello again to everyone. We're thankful for another week God's given us to look into the Word of God. Thankful for each one of you that's taken your time to listen. Hope the Word of God will help you. Now we're in 1 Kings chapter 21, and last time we began looking at the man Naboth, his vineyard. We saw that it was next to the palace of Ahab, and it being in that location convenient to the king, the king wanted to have it. And no doubt he envisioned in his mind what he could grow there, what would be near to his house, uh, all of these things. And so that brought a desire. He wanted it. And he comes to Naboth and makes an offer. He offers him, I'll pay you for it in gold or silver, or I'll trade you for another land. Whatever you want, I'm willing to do that I might have that property. Naboth refuses to do what God, what Ahab says because he says, God forbids it of me. Uh, I'm going to respect the law of God. I'm going to keep that law and I'm not going to sell. Well, Ahab, who is filled with the devil, he lusts to envy. He's angry at Naboth. Even though that there is a valid reason, Ahab cares not for God. He's angry and peevish. He comes home pouting and whining angry, and Jezebel says, don't be angry. I'll take it for you. And so we're going to see Jezebel now and her her wickedness and my, what wickedness that there is, and really a great picture of our enemy, the devil, and how the devil operates and the devil's desire. So we're going to read now. We'll pick up in verse 8, maybe read to about verse 10. Oh, so she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal and sent the letters to the elders and to the nobles that were in the city dwelling with Naboth. And she wrote in the letters saying, Proclaim a fast and set Naboth on high among the people and set two men, sons of Belial, before him to bear witness against him, saying, Thou didst blaspheme God and the king and then carry him out and stone him that he may die. So Jezebel now, her unbridled wickedness on full display. Taking the land is not enough. And I said last time, and I I realize I can't say it expressly with all certainty, but it looks like by what we read in Samuel last time, the king had the authority to take the land. He could have wrote an edict and forcefully took the land from Naboth. But that was not good enough for Jezebel. No, Naboth had withstood her and her husband. Naboth had stood up for the law of God. And because of that, he's just going to have to die. So the plan then is to kill him. So in Proverbs... Chapter number 6 and verse 26, we read a little about the adulteress. For by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread, and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. So no surprise that the evil woman, the strange woman, uh, a picture of the devil and his deceitfulness, 
No surprise that she's wanting to kill Naboth. She wants to kill you too. And the picture used in Proverbs is that of an adulteress, a, a, a whorish woman, a harlot, a prostitute. And you know what she does? She sells herself for money, for profit. She doesn't care who comes to see her. She doesn't care if it's a young man that's newly married. She doesn't care if it's a, 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 an old middle-aged fella that's got a wife and a bunch of children back home. She doesn't care if it's a man that uh, is, his life is going to be ruined, his family is going to be split apart. She doesn't care if it hurts his children, if it destroys his wife. She doesn't care if it ruins his reputation. She cares nothing about the man that comes. She's in it for her profit, for her pleasure, for her gain. That's the way the devil is. The devil don't care about you. He don't care about your life. He doesn't care about your family. He doesn't care about your relationship at home. He doesn't care about your reputation in the world. He'd like to destroy every bit of that to please and to bring up joy to him. No regard for the precious life, even that of a child. And you know, you think we, we can draw a picture of that even to our uh, country and world today. How that things, uh, just, just simple things, gambling and the lottery and alcohol and all of these things that are spoken so highly of, that are touted, you, you never hear about the lives that are destroyed by these things. How that they get a hold of people, how that they ruin them, how that they lose everything they've got, how that they lose their family, how that they hurt their children, how that they harm the futures of their children, how that their wife suffers, how that their uh, job, how that they lose their job as a result of it, they lose their license, they destroy their life in these things. But the truth is nobody cares about that. And the reason is because, well, there's just too much money involved to outlaw it for the good of people. So we're going to tout it, and we're not going to mention the bad. No, we're, we're going to profit, and we really don't care. And really, we don't want to hear about the lives that are destroyed. Abortion, another great, great example of the unbridled wickedness of man for his own profit and gain. Too much money there. Don't tell us about the babies. Don't even call them babies. Just kill them, make the money, and be over it. That's the, way, that's the way the devil is. He cares not for your life, nor your soul, nor your well-being. He says, look, this is what's best for you. This is what you need to do. No surprise that Jezebel has that same thought and thinking. In the Gospel of John, chapter number 8, the Lord speaks of the devil. And this is what he says about the devil. You're of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. So the devil was a murderer from the very beginning. Is it any surprise that a murderer 
kill somebody? Absolutely no surprise. Is it a surprise that Jezebel's going to kill Nabal? She's already killed every prophet she could get her hands on. Anybody that would stand up for the word of God, we're going to kill them and get them out of the way. She's a murderer. The devil is a murderer. And he cares not for the precious life. He doesn't care about what you care for. He cares for himself and himself alone. And his wickedness is unbridled towards them. Now in Mark, I believe we can see, <coughs> I'm sorry, I believe we can see a very similar thing happening in the gospel of Mark, chapter number 6, verse 17. We've got John the Baptist. John the Baptist is going to make a stand for the word of God. For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John and bound him in prison for Herodias his brother's Philip's wife, for he had married her. And John had said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Now, for whatever reason, and I'm going to say for lust, maybe she desired to be with Herod because Herod had more money, more power. And maybe Herod wanted her because she was beautiful to look at and pleasing to his flesh. Whatever the reason, he had married his brother's wife, and John the Baptist said that's not lawful. That's against the law of God. Now, John is going to be hated because of that word of God. And the Bible says about Herodias, Therefore Herodias had a quarrel against him and would have killed him, but she could not. Now, what about that? They were going to do that. They were going to have their way. They were going to do their thing. And anybody that would be opposed to it, ignoring it, that's not an option. No, we need, we need to kill him and get him out of the way. Boy, that's, that's the devil. Would you not say that that's the devil? And so, she writes the letters now from the unbridled lust. And really, here's, this is the devil. You can see the devil right here. We're going to kill him, and we're going to get him out of the way. So she's going to write a letter, according to the Bible. She's writing it unto the elders and to the nobles that were in the city. So elders were the old or the aged, and nobles means white or pure from cleansing of fire. So a picture there of, of those that were... Uh, on high. And in Deuteronomy 16, we read this in verse 18. Judges and officers, shalt thou make thee in all thy gates which the Lord thy God giveth thee throughout thy tribes, and they shall judge the people with just judgment. Thou shalt not rest judgment. Thou shalt not respect persons, neither take a gift. For a gift doth blind the eyes of the wise and pervert the words of the righteous. That which is altogether just shalt thou follow, that thou mayest live and inherit the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. So God is careful in prescribing, and you talk about careful, he lays it out there. You're not going to rest judgment. You shouldn't be partial. You don't look at who is standing before you and make any judgment based on that. 
You're not to accept a gift or a bribe or anything from the hand of anybody because that'll rest your judgment. You stand and you stand unbiased and make your ruling according to the law of God that justice be served. Well, now that's who she's writing this letter to. To the, to the nobles, to the elders, to the judges, to the ones in authority that this evil plan would be carried out. It's murder. She's requesting the murder of Naboth. And notice this now. She's not sending false witnesses to the judges to make a lie and for them to judge on. Really, that would have been a totally different dynamic here. But she's not sending the false witnesses. She's telling the judges, the elders and the nobles, look, go out and find a couple criminals, men of Belial, men that are without profit, worthless, wicked, men that are ungodly criminals, men that'll do anything for a little gift. And you know, who's going to be the most acquainted with the lawless and the wicked in the city? The judges are. The judges know them that are continual lawbreakers. And no doubt, as she says, go find two men of Belial. They, they got people on their mind. But she says, you go find the witnesses. You proclaim a fast. And you tell the liars what to say. And judge based off the testimony of these liars. And so the judges then... Now think about this picture. The judges are choosing the wicked witnesses telling them what to say, and then going to bring about a death penalty based on the witness that they set up in the hearts of wicked men. You talk about a time of rested judgment and rested truth. Here is a time of great darkness and evil that men that are supposed to be judges of right things are resting the truth knowingly and bringing about the death of someone that they know to be innocent. You reckon that happens today? That men that are so-called preachers, men that are maybe elders, maybe even nobles, white or pure, in the eyes of the people round about, that they are willing to rest judgment and speak a lie to deceive their hearts and lead them into destruction. It's no different today. The devil's men are still doing the devil's work. And that's to take the souls of men into eternal punishment and destruction. In Matthew 25, I believe we can see it here, the devil working in the same way, but here against the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> you talk about a sham of a trial. I'm sorry, I said 25. It's actually Matthew chapter 26, verse number 59. Now the chief priests and elders and all the council 
sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet they found none. At the last came two false witnesses and said, This fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? Now, I realize we can read over that real fast and not realize the weight of what's being said there. But picture this trial. It's, it's a courtroom trial here. They've got the Lord Jesus. They're trying. Their desire is to find him guilty and kill him. That's the desire from the very beginning and from before. The trial even started. That was their desire. And they're looking for somebody to come in and give false witness. But here's the problem. They can't put him to death without two. The law of God says that except from the mouth of two or three witnesses. So they're bringing in all of these false witnesses and none of them agree. I don't know how many came in and testified. There was more than two or three by the way it's worded there in Matthew 26. But found none, yea, though many false witnesses came. So how, how many is many? A 10? 15? I don't know. 20? We know this. It was many false witnesses came, and yet they couldn't agree. So what kind of a circus do you reckon this was? As they're trying to build a case against him, and all of these liars come in, and none of their lies line up or agree. But finally, finally two men, they come in and testify the same thing, and now we've got him. Boy, I tell you, when, when the nobles are seeking out a lie and false witness and lies of their own self, what hope is there of judgment being done? Naboth is going to receive a sham trial that was set up from the beginning and he's going to be condemned to death based on witnesses that were told to lie from the very beginning. Just as the Lord Jesus... He's not going to receive judgment. He's going to be tried in the middle of the night and they're going to do everything they can to bring in false witnesses in the midst of this circus to try to put him to death. My God, what wickedness in places where there ought to be judgment. The high priest and the Sanhedrin court, men respected in Israel as being judges and elders and experts of the law of God. Here they are perverting justice. And friends, when the perversion of justice enters into the church and the pulpit, of what hope does the community and the goers of the church and the families, what hope do they have of receiving the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ? There is no hope when judgment is rested. Naboth does not stand a chance. It's rigged against him, and knowingly so. But now, we know that our enemy, Satan, he is subtle. So, he's acting this great evil plot, but he's doing it subtly that it's not noticeable. In the Garden of Eden... Satan was out to kill Eve. 
but he's doing it in a manner that Eve believes that he is her friend and wanting to benefit. There is subtility and deception and deceit. That's the way the devil works. Well, it's, it's no different here. All was done under the guise of religion and courtroom justice. Now think about everything that was fake. Proclaim a fast, a religious ceremony. The fast was not for the glory of God. The fast was not to praise the name of God. The fast was not to draw near to God. The fast was for the purpose of killing Naboth. It was a sham. It was a lie. It was fake. The fast. Naboth's elevation. She says set him on high. Put him up at the captain's chair. Put him up where everybody can see him. Not to do him honor for upholding the law of God. Not to do him honor for being one that regarded God's law above the word of the king. No, but put him on high so that everybody can see him when our false witness comes in. The witnesses and their testimony, they weren't witnesses. These were men of Belial, wicked, worthless criminals, men that would pervert justice for anything, men with no care for the truth, men with no desire to speak the word of God, men that wanted to please themselves and bring honor to their self. What benefited them? will pervert the truth to benefit me. And their testimony was not legitimate. It was provided for them. And the judgment and execution. You're going to have a courtroom trial. Judgment's going to be made based on the witness of two witnesses. Now that's what the Word of God says to do. And if it's found to be true then you can stone them to death. That's the prescription of God. This is done under the guise of what God said to do. And yet the judges are going to execute a man based on testimony that they set up and rigged from the very beginning. You see how wicked this plan was? But to the average Joe in Israel, this looked like it was the right thing. It looked like that this was a real fast. It was real religion and service to God. It looked like this was a real testimony against Naboth. And it looked like real judgment. Real judgment was being passed out. Now that's how subtle that our enemy is. The Bible says in the Corinthians, don't marvel that Satan's ministers are appear as angels of truth. For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. You, you ponder that for a minute, that even the devil, the devil himself, the wicked, the very height of wicked, the head of wicked, the great dragon, the serpent, the deceiver, 
the accuser of the brethren, the very enmity of God, can look like an angel of light. Subtle and deceiving. That's exactly what this is. And we can see another picture of this as well with the account of David and Uriah. 1 Samuel 11. We know what David did with Uriah's wife Bathsheba. We know that David told Joab, go put him in the front lines, let him die. And we know in, in 2 Samuel 11, verse 25, news comes. News comes to David. Joab says, David, we've fought the battle. I've put Uriah in the front, and Uriah's been slain. Then David said unto the messenger, Thus shalt thou say unto Joab, Let not this thing displease thee, for the sword devoureth one as well as another. Make the battle more strong against the city, and overthrow it, and encourage thou him. And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah her husband was dead, she mourned for her husband. <clears throat> and when the morning was past, David sent and fetched her to his house. She became his wife and bare him a son. Boy, looks like, looks like David is the real man of the hour here. We've got a poor soldier that's died in battle. Encourage the troops. It happens. And then he's going to go and take the grieving widow and bring her in and let her be a wife to the king. He's, he's being the savior here. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. There was a problem. God Almighty was aware of everything that went on. And the sham, the lie, none of that is going to hold up when God's word comes on the scene. So let's, let's note this right here as well. It looks like that more than just Naboth is going to die here. I realize in this scripture, it looks like it's just Naboth. But in 2 Kings chapter number 9, verse number 26, Surely I have seen yesterday the blood of Naboth and the blood of his sons, saith the Lord, and I will requite thee in this plat saith the Lord. So it sounds like that Naboth and his sons are both, are all going to be stoned here. And certainly, in order for Ahab to inherit, then there can't be any inheritors in Naboth's family. So his children, they, they have to die too in order for him to inherit. And now, <coughs> don't think that strange because you remember when Achan sinned and Israel was defeated in a battle and men lost their life in the battle as a result and Achan did not repent and it, his sin was found out. So the Bible says, this is Joshua chapter 7, verse 24, And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah and the silver and the garment and the wedge of gold and his sons and his daughters 
and his oxen and his asses and his sheep and his tin and all that he had. And they brought them unto the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. So the judgment there was not just upon Achan, but his sons and his daughters and his family was stoned with him. And that looks like what happens here. They're going to kill Naboth and his children so that Ahab might inherit this piece of property. And it's all done by judges who know what's going on. They know the lies that's being told. They know the evil that's being committed. And in verse 11, And the men of the city, even the elders and the nobles, who were the inhabitants in his city. And notice that in verse 8. She's going to write letters to the elders and nobles that were in his city dwelling with Nabal. In verse 11, the men of his city, <clears throat> the elders and the nobles who were the inhabitants in his city. So these men, they, they lived in the same place, in the same area as Naboth. So they knew the man. And if Naboth was, as we see in the word of God, a man that respected the law of the Lord, a, a just man, one that hadn't bowed the knee to Baal, one that they, they knew about him. They knew who he was. They knew his nature. They knew his family. Boy, we don't care about any of that. We don't care that we know him. We're going to rest judgment to destroy him. And boy, that happens today. People are willing and just, just one small example of the evil in the heart of families towards their own family. One member dies living a life separated from God, from the Word, and from the church with no care whatsoever to the law of God. And another family member will tell the rest well, boy, they're better off and they're in heaven lying and deceiving, really seeking their blood as well. No love for those that they know. No desire for the truth. No desire for them to know the truth. Only destruction. Pitiful, pitiful state that we see. But this is the state of a nation, of a people, that are separated from God. These people don't know God. They're wicked. They're children of the devil. The devil was a murderer, and they are too. No surprise. We'll stop right there this time, and we'll pick up as they carry out this wicked plan of Jezebel. We thank you for your attention, for you listening to us. Hope you have a wonderful week, and pray for us. We love you.